Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Please welcome Sarah Gerard and Binary Star. Hi. <laughs> um, this is by far the most uh, special night of the tour yet because so many of my friends are here. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank Skylight for inviting me and thank all of you for joining me tonight. So um, I'll just be reading from the prologue and then I'll skip around a little bit in the text so you can see how stylistically different they are. And then afterward I'll do a little Q&A. So get ready. I'm a white dwarf. I spend all my energy, compress my core, I ionize electrons. Each night I find the burning center of my hunger alone in my apartment. The walls breathe the space between them and the distance tastes metallic. If I stare at John's painting on the wall, those walls left and right expand and cool. Everything has a shimmer, including me, and I'm empty. I find my emptiness in the center of the room, the dead space. I and the dead space are most alike. The sounds of earth below reach me on the futon. I sit in a way complementary to my thighs, one crossed over the other, leaning more on the right hip than the left, a perfect balance. There's work to be done, but I won't do it. I will curve around the empty space between the work and me, and we will fall toward each other, but continue to orbit. I will study the main sequence chart on the wall, the one John gave me, that John's parents gave me. The total mass of a star is the principal determinant of its fate. A star is held together by its own gravity. When I visited John in Chicago last spring, I awoke to his urine in the bed. He can't wake from the Seroquel he takes to fall asleep. It's pointless to try to make him. Even if I succeed, he's delusional. That time he was angry, he thought I'd spilled something. What time is it, he asked. Late is not a time. It's four in the morning. You wet the bed. No, I didn't. It smells like urine. You peed the bed. No, I didn't. Snoring. I blow smoke into the center. I lie on the cold leather couch his parents bought him. Leather isn't vegan, John. I didn't buy it. They did. John's not responsible. At 2 o'clock today, I ate half a bag of sunflower seeds and drank 20 ounces of coffee. At 6 o'clock, I had half a raw carrot. I had a Red Bull at 8 o'clock. All morning, I tried to work the TV. John slept until 4 in the afternoon. How many pills did you take? What I was supposed to take, too. Whatever. He's been alone for too long. I don't have keys. I can't leave when you sleep this late. So, a revolution. I can't be responsible for you, because what if you weren't okay? No, I don't blame you. Of course not. How could I blame you? We'll get used to this. We'll find balance. Closer to you than you are to me, but you're massive. We need to do things on our own. I can't. I was alone in a second empty apartment with dog. To own a dog is cruel, John. To own a living thing is cruel. It's not vegan. It takes time. We only have so much time. It's only a matter of time until I do away with all my possessions, including myself. The scale in the bathroom sits partially on the bath mat. I move it to the hallway and set it on the wood for absolute accuracy. Zero. Give me zero. I was 92 yesterday. 91. One o'clock. Some of that's urine weight. Soon I'll disappear into the wall. Soon I will be light as gas. There's work to be done. Think of class. Tomorrow I will go to the school where I intern. My students will take in matter about stars. I will radiate it toward them. They'll expand and harden at the center, convect new matter. They aren't not my students. They're interred. I have to study. It's late. I have to sleep. I won't sleep. I never do. To sleep is lazy. I feel guilty when I sleep. 
I don't need it like you do, John. Just being awake burns calories. Just being awake brings me closer to you, to perfection. Tomorrow, I will work for free and then go to the class where I take in stars. A star's luminosity is determined by its mass. I'm faint. I feel faint. I'm reeling. I shine. A binary star is a system containing two stars that orbit their common center of mass. Binary stars are gravitationally bound. Gravity is the way we fall together, in personal time and in universal time. Tonight is the end of all time. Tonight, I want to stop time. My time, John. Your time. John and I follow our paths into the center, but we never reach the center. We are objects drawn to each other in space. We are space. We fall together. I'm tired, but awake. I eat nothing. I eat nothing but time. John is thousands of miles away, but I feel him. He doesn't call me. Nobody calls me. John calls me sometimes. I try not to lie. I just lied. John loves me. I take two hydroxycut and sit on the red futon. I smoke and blow my smoke into the center and buzz. Sounds of earth below reach me, rolling like fog through the windows. I'm alone. I'm always alone. I'm disgusting. Hunger burns and rises in the chest, up the ladder. Tomorrow I will lead a test on starlight. Stars are born in clouds of gas and thighs, arms, tummy, ass. Stars are born of gravitational collapse. Stay away from the vodka, John. One more, two less, a hundred, more, a dense, hot core. The total energy radiated by a star per unit time is its luminosity. The more massive a star, the more luminous it is, the brighter it burns. High-mass stars rapidly exhaust their core supplies of energy and burn out. I feel that this is the end of suffering. I feel that I will be extinguished. This is the end of indecision, of two desires orbiting the empty space of why. I will finally disappear, be final. Desire requires two bodies, this and that, the final exam, evaluation. John says, what does it mean to be primitive in this city? John thinks he's primitive and he thinks I'm primitive. I'm indifferent, I think. I don't think much anymore. I think I don't feel deeply for John. I think John needs me. I feel this without feeling it. That he needs me reminds me that I'm here, worth something. I know I feel hungry, distant. I feel dizzy when I stand. I'm not living in a tree, John. No, if you say so. That sounds perfect. I don't know what I believe. You don't believe these things you're saying either. You've just filled yourself with them. You filled yourself with me. You don't even know me. You don't even know me. You don't grow your own food. You don't grow anything but your gut. I didn't mean that. I'm tired. I'm lonely. I'm hungry. I'm sorry. Self-hating. Justifiably afraid. Don't be angry. Don't leave me. I'm alone. I should be left alone. I love you. I feel this now as a kind of falling. I just miss you. I say, I miss you too. We pass each other and keep turning. John, lighten up. It's a joke. I said, I'm sorry. How committed are you really? I doubt your commitment. To what? To the cause. I do believe in causation. I believe in control. I control this, if nothing else. I control myself. You see it. It's visible in my absence and on paper in my performance. You got straight A's. You do so much. Too much, really. Those people online aren't your comrades. If you can't touch them, you can't know them. I know you're lonely. I don't like to be touched. I'm sorry. Don't remind me that I'm here. I feel one thing. Afraid. Guilty. Vile. It's just that I miss you. I'm sure that's it. I'm angry at myself. I'm just angry. I'm justifiably angry. Fine, then I'm afraid. I call him periodically throughout the night. I can't stargaze here. Otherwise, I'd be out. There's too much light on Long Island. 
He's up all night when he doesn't take his pills. I'm sick. I know. I'm sick too, John. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of you suffering. I'm sick of suffering. I'm fading. We know each other's sickness. It keeps us circling. I ask him questions about it, but he doesn't tell me much. I also think he lies. I lie. How can I know? I can know very little. I know he lies. I don't know. I don't know what he sees. He doesn't ask me about myself anymore. I don't think he wants to know what to say. I'm empty inside on purpose. I have a purpose. I do. It's in making myself a star. I'm serious. I don't have a sense of humor. I think it's enough that I'm morbidly interested. It must seem like concern. It does concern me. He takes his pills for fun. They're his. He needs them. He says he doesn't. What would your doctor think? Do you tell him? Of course not. I take them, but not for fun. (sighs) Whatever. We're different. We're also the same. Don doesn't know about my pills. Once he re-rented somebody in the Kennedy Expressway and spent three days in the hospital, I couldn't be there. Should I have told him then? There's never a good time. I didn't ask him either. Was this your fault? I know it was. I didn't have to ask. He forgets. He doesn't want to. He's stubborn. He overcompensates. He has to love me. We talk on the phone and he slurs his words. Orbit's nonsense. What would happen if I left him? Left him? I'm not even there. What would happen if I wasn't? What would happen if I wasn't? the work in me. But John is work. I do John's work for him already. I help John become me. It's the cruelest thing I do. I'm orbiting. I spin. You can't drink with it, John. I don't. Whatever. I read about stars. Miley Cyrus, Victoria Beckham, Lady Gaga, Princess Kate. I buy magazines at Walgreens, read the stories, read for class. If I have Adderall, I read all night, filling myself. I empty myself. I fill myself. I empty myself. I fill myself. Again, I'm still empty. My goal for the night? 85. Amazing. I don't need to be full to purge, but I'm never full. I'm able to purge without feeling. sick. Mass is a numerical measure of inertia and a fundamental measure of the matter in an object. I take my picture in the mirror. I know how to turn myself. I want no part of my body touching any other part. The mirror hovers in the wall of my bedroom. It cuts me at the knee. I'm short. I have very short legs and a big ass. My thighs are thick. Nicole Ritchie is long for her frame. The space between Nicole and her clothes is immense, beautiful. They seem to orbit around her bones, her empty space. She seems to be disappearing. She's massive. She has an impossible shadow between her thumb and her wrist when she holds a cup of coffee. I covet that shadow. I hate the shadows in here. I'm also nothing but shadow. I take pictures of myself before the mirror. I stand in elongating postures. I send them to John, make him miss me. What can improve? Always something. Please tell me. He doesn't answer. I trim the sides of the photos, the space around a body, the space to the edge. I'm nothing but a shadow 1,000 miles away. I'm nothing but light's interruption by matter. How are you feeling, John? Better? I'm sorry I woke you. A white dwarf is very hot when it is formed, but with no source of energy will radiate away its heat and cool down. A white dwarf is also called degenerate dwarf. I shiver when it's warm. John's parents flew him here this past summer. John's never had a job. He's probably not capable. For weeks, he sleeps in the red futon. For weeks, I walk the floor around him. The ashtray lies beside him on the mattress. In the ashes, I rub into the red cover. I blow smoke into the center. John, what about your class? It already started. The one you were taking in the city? I have opinions about class. How do you feel about your class? You take advantage. You take advantage. Your class is destroying you. I destroy me. I burn myself away. It would take me an hour and a half on the train. You can't get it up. What? You can't get up in time to leave. He isn't hungry. He isn't motivated. I am, but he doesn't know why. John John tried to tie me up. He tried to tie me with nylon ropes, but I don't have bedposts. He tried to tie me to the feet of the bed, but the ropes weren't long enough, so he tied me to myself. This is the only way I can do it. I want you to hurt me. Please, I need it. We don't need sex. 
I don't need sex. If you touch me, I'll explode. John tried it with knives and with handcuffs, but he's a coward. We have the darkness between us. John tried it with ropes and with cigarettes. That's enough and it will never go away. There's something between us that matters, degenerate matter. That matter is darkness. Degenerate matter occurs under extremely high density or at extremely low temperatures. Its pressure forces atoms to shed electrons in the dwarf's core, which is mostly carbon and oxygen, diamonds. The largest diamond in the universe lives at the center of a variable white dwarf star. It is nicknamed after a Beatles song, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. John's very confused on the phone. If I call too early in the morning or too late at night, he's often angry with himself during the day. I understand that I can't understand. He's angry at himself and at others. He wants to do better. Do you feel powerless, he says? You must be choking. I never joke. Do you ever arrive somewhere you don't remember going to? I feel like I've never had a choice. John's mad at his culture. His culture's made him mad. I'm always somewhere without knowing why. I want to know. We have an understanding of damage and of the fact that what is between us is only thought. That I'm damaged has a significant effect. It's very important that John doesn't know. He doesn't need to worry about it. He shouldn't worry. He has enough to worry about. It's my role to be supportive. That's why he loves me. John loves me. He does. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe I don't. Maybe he wants to hurt me. Love is giving up yourself. But he has nothing to give up. John doesn't believe in sacrifice. That nothing is substantial prevents him from owning it fully. If I were perfect, but nothing is perfect. What is a perfect star? A white one? They're all white. No. Some are blue and some are red. So this book skips around in time and space quite a bit, and um, it follows two major narratives. One is a road trip that the narrator and her boyfriend um, take together, and it cuts back and forth between that and her uh, life on Long Island, where she's largely alone with her disease um, because she's in this long-distance relationship and he's never really there with her. So... So this um, passage begins in her apartment and then moves to a nearby Walgreens. I feel that the sun is rising. I've made more coffee. It burns in the gut in the kitchen. I move from the couch. I'm little, but a shadow. I feel that everything is a matter of because, because John and I talk on the phone, but it's mostly trying to understand. Now we're eating ourselves, and the star chart moves, and everything seems to be curving around what I want, but I can't find my way to it. The main sequence chart. Are we on the main sequence? We're dim. I'm the center of the room. I'm fixed. I'm not fixed. I careen. I've been still for too long. What was I thinking? I was thinking about the scroll, but scrolls end in circles. Clothing tags, toe tags, taglines. All seems to move except for me, and yet I feel that I'm in motion. I vibrate again. You. I'm spinning, I'm spinning, John, I'm spinning, I'm spinning, I'm spinning, I'm spinning, I collapse. There are binary companions we never see, like black holes. When a body crosses the event horizon surrounding a black hole, it shifts to red. The body's redshift is its infinite gravitational lensing. I walk down the street without feeling. I always move without feeling. It's something I will. So oblivion is a verb. Redshift. I feel the pharmacist feels me. He anticipates my needs. Can I help you? No, you can't. I'm here again. You're my periphery, so I see you. You see me. You look concerned. Are you sure I can't help you? Actually, no. The modern value of the limited white dwarfs was first published in a paper, The Maximum Mass of Ideal White Dwarfs. Can you explain that? I stand in the diet aisle. 
hydroxycut, lipazine, LE, EAC, metabolite, sensa, renu, natrol, Xantrex 3, slim quick, quick trim, mega T, slim effects, phytogenic, zexadrine, dexedrim, thermonex, nitrovarin, stacker, labreda, Irwin Naturals, triple T, fat burner, soft gels. I stand at the counter. Christina Ritchie, Nicole Ritchie, Portia de Rossi, Mary Kate and Ashley, that'll be 20. Misha Barton, Victoria Beckham, Bethany Frankel, Allegra Versace, is that all? Kelly Clarkson, Lily Allen, Kira Knightley, Ginger Spice, credit or debit? Lindsay Lohan, Lady Gaga, Fiona Apple, Isabel Caro, who's dead? Felicity Huffman, Calista Flockhart, Tara Reed, Karen Carpenter, who's dead? You want a candy bar for a dollar? Fuck you. The Barbie Twins, Laura Flynn Boyle, Paula Abdul, Joan Rivers, Sharon Osbourne. The latter is the ribs, the lines in the chest, the gap between the thighs. I want the rings around the eyes. Nobody ever talks about the giant black hole at the center of our galaxy, or the fact that most, if not all, galaxies orbit supermassive black holes. It's not good for casual conversation to talk about circling oblivion, death. By death, I don't mean individual, inevitable conclusion, but the death of any trace of any of this. Deep death, if you consider that death is a matter of time. The nature of a supermassive black hole is such that, that the density of its singularity is less than that of a smaller black hole. In some cases, it is no denser than water. This means that a body traveling toward the black hole center will not experience significant tidal force until very deep into the black hole. An observer would notice very little change. Once a body crosses the event horizon, it redshifts, but it never disappears. There's one last scene that I'll read, and this is um, also on Long Island, where she's uh, student teaching as a, an astronomy, um, a student teaching an astronomy class. I stand at the back of the classroom drinking mate because it's an appetite suppressant and has as much caffeine as coffee. At six in the morning, I drank eight ounces of rice milk with freeze-dried acai berry powder and followed it with a 24-ounce Starbucks iced Americano. At 10 o'clock, I had half a cup of grapes. Every two hours, I allow myself one half stick of celery from the bag in my purse. At two o'clock, I can have one whole banana and my first sugar-free Red Bull to burn it off. At five o'clock, I can have half a McDonald's side salad with no dressing, cheese, or croutons and a cup of ice water. If the hunger becomes overwhelming, I chew a stick of Orbit. If by eight o'clock, I'm feeling weaker than usual, I allow myself an apple after doing two sets of 20 sit-ups. Throughout the day, I take Xantrex 3 as needed. This afternoon, I will lead a lesson on common envelopes. A common envelope is a short-lived phase in the evolution of a binary star. It begins when a binary orbit decays or when one star expands rapidly. Write this down. The donor star will overflow its Roche lobe, initiating mass transfer onto its companion. The Roche lobe is a teardrop-shaped region around both stars in which material is gravitationally bound to the stars. The apex of the teardrop points toward a binary star's companion. Let me demonstrate. I tell my students to stand, and we push their desks to the room's perimeter. They pair off and face their partners and join hands. Right hands hold right hands, and left hands hold left hands, so hands are crossed between them. They start to spin. Make a list of every way in which you're imperfect, I say. Tell yourself that each item is correct. Make a list of fears. Tell yourself they're present. Remember a childhood trauma. Tell yourself it will happen again. Think of your sexual inadequacies. Tell yourself your partner notices them too. Think of your other inadequacies. Tell yourself they're worse than you think. Tell yourself you're ugly. Tell yourself you're selfish. Tell yourself you will never be good enough to have whatever you want most. Tell yourself you don't deserve it. Tell yourself you're not strong enough to act rightly. Tell yourself you're fat and unlovable. Tell yourself that the only way you will improve is through extreme discipline and self-punishment. Tell yourself you're lucky to have your partner as flawed as he is. 
Tell yourself that these flaws are the very things that bind you. They are the only things that keep you from falling down because they are the only things keeping you together. Tell yourself your partner is too good for you. Squeeze your partner's hands until it hurts. Get closer. Spin faster. Closer. Faster. Closer. Faster. Now spit on your partner. I tell them to stop and look their partners in the eyes. I tell them to remember what it felt like just now when their partner spit on them and to imagine that their partner is the only person who could do them that favor. They hug and turn in rapid circles until they're dizzy. Then they fall to the floor. When everyone is eating lunch, I eat my banana and then throw it up in the handicapped bathroom then look at myself in the mirror. I take a handful of water and rub it over my mouth and spit and wipe my face with a paper towel, turning my skin red. I drink a Red Bull to mask the taste of the vomit and burn off whatever banana remains inside me. Then I chew a stick of Orbit. Returning to the classroom, my mentor comments that I look ill and tells me to leave for the day and rest. Thank you. So we'll do a Q and A now. Anybody have any questions? How do you feel, like on a scale of one to ten, like good about yourselves, <laughs> bad about yourselves? <laughs> it's called Binary Star, and uh, she's a physics uh, teacher, uh, astrophysics person. Um, and uh, like, do you have a connection with that? Um, or, or what did you do to study? what binary stars are or, you know, um, because it's, it's so uh, intricately woven with the text. Well, I started reading about stars when I was writing an essay for Bomb Magazine um, about a book called How to Live Safely in the Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. And um, I found the language really fascinating and uh, integrated some of what I was reading into my essay. And then I just continued reading about it. And, um, and actually, I was talking to a writer the other day, and I said, how do you maintain excitement for a new story when you have to do a lot of like front-end research, and she said, well, you have to be really willing to let the plot change because, you know, inevitably you'll be um, affected by the things that you read, and you'll you'll be making all of these sort of subconscious connections, and um, and that's kind of what happened when I was writing the book, is that I, I knew a certain amount of things when I began writing, and then as I was writing the book and continuing to research, I noticed that um, that the the research itself was leading this, leading the story in new in new directions, so it became it became the book itself. Yeah. And mostly I was reading like university websites and um and you know uh astronomical uh journals and wikipedia and yeah. Yeah. I just wondered um while you're reading and dealing with the anorexia I kept trying to understand what the goal of the anorexia is. Is it to like actually adapt to it to survive it's like each day Um, I think that the goal, I think the answer is twofold. I think there's the, I think what the anorexic thinks is her goal on a daily basis, which is to reach a new goal weight. And I think the ultimate goal, um, well, I think it's actually conflicting because uh, on, on the one hand, what you want is not to be seen at all. And on the other hand, what you want is to make a real human connection, you know, to know that somebody wants you to be here. Um, and, uh, and, and I think actually what drives the story forward in Binary Star is her inability to make that connection with her loved one, with John, and, um, and, and, and also that she's alienated everyone around her, so she's really, she really has no support system at all. So, yeah. 
but the goal is ever shifting. I mean, you reach your goal weight, and then the very next day it's different. So. Right now, I'm working on a new novel, and I'm doing a lot of. Uh, I'm, I know where it's set, and I know who the character is, um, and I know who the secondary characters are. But I don't really know how to describe the environment yet. So I'm uh, gathering language. I'm doing a lot of um, research about the ecosystem in in which the story takes place, um, and the like. Na- you know, animals native to this place and the plants native to this place. And I'm actually learning about their metabolic systems and their reproductive systems so that I can use that language. I think a lot of this story and a lot of my writing in general is really guided by language. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how you balanced uh, writing fiction with your non-fiction. Um, yeah, well, I use a lot of the things that I research in my non-fiction to in my fiction as well, like the essay that I was writing for Bomb, in which I was doing a lot of astronomical research. Um, but I don't, when I sit down to write something new, I don't really think a whole lot about other writers. So, um, and in that way, my methods are very different. When I'm writing about books, for example, when I'm doing criticism, I, I take a lot of marginal notes, and then I try to organize those marginal notes in like a, I start with a fresh notebook, and I, I think that I'll probably fill it by the time the essay is over, um, or the essay is complete. Um, but with my fiction, it's a lot more in. It's a lot more uncertain. You know, I really have no idea what, what kind of point I might make when I sit down to write the thing. Um, but I do a lot of outlining when I write criticism. And actually, I've gotten in trouble before for like being a bit too creative with my criticism because I'm not really a critic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did the the binary start start out with? This notion of like began began right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did, did you start out thinking about that, or did that kind of develop as you were researching? Yeah. Well, I I was drawing really heavily from a certain period of my life in which I was I was struggling a lot with anorexia and was also kind of deep in, into that culture, um, and I didn't expect it to be part of the book until the characters got to Portland when, and they bought a book while they were there and I was like oh fuck now it has to be in the book um, and I've, I think I, I realized while I was writing the book that it, that that um, that ideology was is important to me as a person um, even though I don't really subscribe to all of the, the beliefs inherent in that ideology I, I believe uh, I'm I'm a, I'm vegan myself, and I, I believe that animals should be treated a certain way, and I also realized that it was really important to the narrator um, who who felt uh, very, what's the word I'm looking for, sort of disembo- um, dissected, you know, by her culture, or like regarded in parts like, like, like animals are um, in our culture. So um, it was a connection that I couldn't really ignore, and it also helped me finish the story, like get kind of changed the direction of the story so that I could see its end more clearly. Um, but yeah, so the answer is that I didn't, had no idea from the outset and was actually a little bit disappointed when I realized how important it would have to be because it was like I have to do all this new work, you know? Yeah. Um, where or, like, did you see the connection between the struggles with anorexia of the main character and this, like, interest in astrophysics? 
from the very beginning, um, I I wrote the prologue thinking that I would write the whole book in that style, uh, and the first line has always been the first line. Um, and I I also had been wanting to write about stars for a while. I actually wrote a book called, or the majority of a book called Binary Star a few months before I began writing this one and then had to scrap the whole thing because it was not very good. Um, but I, I, I had maintained this interest in stars and wanted to do something with it. So um, it, it, it was kind of a, a perfect metaphor from the beginning. It was a, a, a way for me not to talk only about the disease but to draw sort of a larger portrait of the disease, you know. Yeah. Has drawing this parallel with astrophysics led you to any conclusions about that Um, Let me think about that. I see how um, how the disease is one that's both large and small now. That like that the especially with regard to the character, she's looking for some some meaning outside of herself, you know, or some way to to, uh, to get outside of herself and see herself objectively, um, which is something that's really impossible to do when you're s- struggling with a disease that has everything to do with minutia, like, you know, one more, by, like, like one more pound is going to solve all of your problems, you know, and I think it also um, helps, helped me to see how meaningless, you know, how, how, how meaningless these, uh, I think, daily concerns are, you know. When like everything could be, will be erased ultimately. Does that sound cheesy? (laughs) Maybe a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, both. Um, those sections, I think, are the most heavily line-edited line edited sections because they are so, they rely so much on um, the meter, you know? Um, and, like, one word will kind of throw the rest of it off. And especially in the end, in the last scene, I had to rewrite it, like, four or five times. Um, even after I sent it to... to I think even in the copy editing phase, I was like, fuck, this is just not working, you know, and I kept getting held up, like, on, on certain lines, and, and I, I ended up cutting about a third of the last scene because I needed it to be really spare, um, and I didn't want, I didn't want it to be, like, really clear, like, really clear what happens in the end, you know, um, I think it is, but, I, but it comes across in, like, maybe one or two lines, like, what what is actually happening there, but those scenes, yeah, are um, uh, mostly guided by sound, um, because I think what happens, the, like plot-wise, they're not really all that important. Like it moves the story emotionally forward, but um, but not not a lot happens in her life, you know. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's. I think I actually know what the shape of that book is now already, but I don't really know what. I don't know what happens in each of the sections, but I know that they start within this one. Each section starts in this one way. When I say sections, I mean chapters. Like most writers call these chapters, <laughs> um, but like, but each chapter starts in one way and then proceeds. Uh, the point of view shifts and into a, a totally different character. So yeah, I, I yeah I know what that looks like, but um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 
people have called Binary Star experimental. I don't really know what the fuck that means. Like, people have been experimenting with literature since the dawn of time. So, I don't, uh, since people started writing, I don't know. Um, but yeah, but stru- structurally, it'll be very different. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.